What's up, everyone? It is 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, which means you're tuning in for Cannabis Legalization News, where we explain marijuana laws so you can change them. Today, we're joined by John Makowicz. He's a Michigan cannabis lawyer. We're going to get into Detroit's legacy uh, certification and get into uh, uh, Michigan's recreational industry that's just booming. So let's just get right into it. How are you guys doing? Happy two days before the election. Oh, Please. Hey, how are you? God, may the uh, the election go the way that allows this industry uh, to grow. And then not only this industry, our podcast, by the way, uh, is very close to being deleted on the YouTube channel. Uh, and then we'd have to start another YouTube channel, like the couple that we're on right now, uh, ancillary ones, all because of the, the quasi-legal nature of our business. And John, thanks so much for, for joining us because we're going to discuss uh, something that's exciting, uh, a new type of license and a big market. How many people are in Detroit? I believe in the city. And first of all, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, listen sure. to you lots of times. Glad to be on the show. Now, Detroit, I think it's probably 750,000 residents with a metro region of four and a half million. So fairly decent sized community. Damn. And Michigan has a huge uh, legacy. I mean, not just... Uh, the rec- uh, medical, but you guys go back to traditional days with uh, John C. Clair and whatnot. Correct. Yeah, Michigan's uh, about 10 years ago, uh, we approved marijuana in the state, but we didn't have a process to implement it. And so cities like Detroit, Lansing, Ann Arbor have been selling marijuana uh, in the gray market. Uh, we've officially came on board about three years ago. And now, as we're going to talk about, Detroit's coming online with recreational. Nice. Interesting. So what's the lay of the land then? If I wanted to go buy a bag of weed in uh, Detroit, I'm assuming that I can do it at a dispensary, right? Correct. So if you're an Illinois resident or an out-of-state resident, you would have to have a medical card. Uh, there is reciprocity here in the state. It works. But unfortunately, right now in the city of Detroit, it's medical only. So you would have to have a medical card to purchase marijuana in the city of Detroit. There are other communities in the state that are recreational, but as of right now, if you're in Detroit, and it would only be through medical. How is Detroit so, I mean, Detroit's kind of got a bad reputation, right? And, and as far as uh, economy, uh, industries, I've been leaving you guys. Uh, why haven't they stepped up and been like, yo, let's do recreational like now? Because it'll pull so much revenue, not just like uh, tourism too, you know, out of other cities coming to visit you guys. No, that's a good question. So in, in 2018, uh, this went before the voters, uh, overwhelmingly approved, over 70% approval in the city of Detroit. But there is some hesitancy and some concern among city council and the mayor to how to do this properly for recreational. Uh, right now, there are 75 licenses for medical in the city of Detroit. Only four of those are owned by African-Americans. And so we're in a city that is over 80% African-American with only four owned by African-Americans. And so what council member Tate in the city wanted to come up with is how do we do something not that's race-based, but that's Detroit-based for the city of Detroiters? Because if you look at Detroit, it's a historically disproportionate impact on marijuana as far as the level of access to capital, land, resources, the ability to get in the space evidenced by only four owners, uh, marijuana criminal convictions that exceed the national average in the city of Detroit. They've Detroiters have been historically excluded from the space. Most of them are tangentially involved, security guards, cashiers, the lower end spectrum of the industry 
And so what I think Detroiters were trying to do here, especially Council Member Tate, was say, how do we have a city-based ordinance that favors the people of Detroit to allow them to get access to this industry? And that's when they came up with this new thing that they have, right? It's called the, uh, the Detroit Legacy. So a certification for Detroit residents called Detroit Legacy. Uh, and then that has been defined as, as three prongs. And it, evidently, it sounds like, or it appears to me, that uh, in the Detroit law, uh, they've created a new term of art, and then they're going to reward this new term of art, just like Illinois did with, quote unquote, social equity. Detroit has Detroit legacy, and it's this new term of art. So like you've had to have lived in Detroit for 15 of the last 30 years. And how does it work beyond that? Is it just uh, the residency or is there also like uh, income requirements? No, so as you say, it's a little different than Illinois. Illinois for theirs had a three-prong approach. One, you had to live in a certain uh, zip code, which was basically based on income. The criminal convictions are higher, 10 individuals who qualified under either one of those first two. Detroit's done it a little different and there's some disagreement right now in city council whether or not they should keep this or whether or not they should amend it towards something like Illinois had because it's city-based. It's three-pronged as well, similar to Illinois, but the first one is you have to live in the city for 15 years. doesn't matter where, 15 out of the last 30 years, it doesn't matter where in the city you lived. So you could have lived in the most wealthy part of Detroit and still qualify. And so there's certain individuals on city council who are saying, wait a minute, that's not fair. We may end up having 75 individuals from the wealthiest districts of Detroit, Indian Village, for example, who obtain all these licenses, and that's not really what we envision. So that's one issue that you know they may still have to address. Uh, yeah, because that, that happened. I mean, like I mean, you're because you helped uh, some Illinois teams then as well, and so you've seen kind of like, well, if you guys just put this out there, award this. You know, you're going to get a lot of demand and you might just have somebody come in and try to take all the licenses. Do they have any types of license caps that are out there to help uh, protect the, uh, you know, the equities uh, that may be? Or is it just going to be um, the wealthiest get everything? No, so there are caps on uh, the retail side of it. So Detroit has 10 licenses that are going to come into play. A few of them here in Michigan that we don't have in Illinois. For example, in Michigan, we can do consumption lounges. So Detroit is going to put a cap of 35 on that. Uh, Micro businesses, which means you can grow, process, and sell sort of like a microbrewery, but you can't take your product and put it into another establishment, 35 of those. How many? Then, how, big are, how big are those operations, the micro licenses, the micro business one? Well, how many plants? Uh, 150. 150 plant operation. That, there you go. You're talking that's probably work. that's busy work, but then you're probably yeah. pulling down some weight. You know, you might be pulling down about 20 ish pounds. And then, of course, if it's by plant, I mean, then you, you well, because then, like, if it's by plant like that, there's methods that you can use to try to grow that one pound plant. Yeah. But yeah. quality will still prevail at the end, you know, because if you're selling it back to a market, no matter what. But, John, with the uh, the three-tiered, uh, with the Detroit um, years of living, is there also a percentage of ownership requirement, too, that would also ensure the uh, the licensee? Yeah, so back to the three-prong, it is 15 out of the last 30 years, 13 out of the last 30 with a low income, and 10 out of the last 30 with a marijuana conviction. 
Uh, most likely, most of those are going to be Detroiters 15 out of the last 30 years. Uh, it is similar to what we saw in Illinois in the social equity program, 51% majority ownership. Uh, so what that means is right now there's this rush by individuals and groups to say, how do I find that individual who I can put it as the front of my potential business that I'm looking to start? So obviously we're going to see a lot of demand from Detroiters, but also a lot of demand from out-of-staters as well, similar to Illinois. Just like if you wanted to start a business in Illinois and apply for one of those 75, you had to go find a social equity applicant. Same thing here in Detroit. You have to go find a Detroit legacy applicant now. Is there a, so right now, do you represent a license? Are you helping? Is it horizontal or vertical in, in Michigan? So Michigan, you there is you can go vertical in it. You can apply for one license or no license. The only difference in Michigan compared to Illinois is if you have a grow processing or dispensary license, you can't apply for a transport or a testing license. So those two licenses are off. But usually most people either start with the grow or the dispensary, depending on where they can find and then try to go vertical. Nice. Wow. The other thing Detroit's done uh, to try to make this Detroit centric. And I think there's going to be some legal challenges on this from out of state applicants is that a minimum of 50% of these licenses go to Detroit legacy applicants. And what that means is that in the event that, you know, you don't get a certain number of licenses, nobody else can apply. So there always has to be that minimum 50% threshold. So if Tom wants to apply, for example, and it's going to push the Detroit legacy under 50% down to 48%, Tom's not going to get a license until another Detroit legacy applicant applies. Oh, wow. That sounds a lot better than some of the other places. But, 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 here, but here's where it's going to get a little tricky, I think, for the courts is Detroit legacy applicants get a six week window to apply. Yeah. And so not only do they get to apply first, they apply before the medical uh, establishments get to apply and before any non-Detroiters or out-of-state applicants get to apply. And so, for example, if you're from Illinois or Ohio or Indiana, one of the bordering states, and you want to apply for a license, you now have to partner up with the Detroit Legacy because all 75 of those dispensaries, all 35 of the micro businesses, all 35 of the consumption lounges are going to be applied for within that initial six week window. Yeah. So, and so kind of like a special uh, purposes law kind of prohibition or equal protection type thing where the, you see that a lot in the Illinois lawsuits that happen, like the ones that are specifically targeted against the veterans. So, you know, you're making this law specifically benefiting these people when it could have just been a general law. You think that's what's going to happen if uh, they try to go through it this way? I, I think so. We've seen a case that came out of Maine this year where the federal court ruled in favor of the out-of-state applicants as well, who Maine was trying to apply a point system similar to what Illinois did. Maine ruled in favor of the out-of-state applicants and said, hey, you can't use that uh, Maine-centric point system as part of your application. And so right now you have a system that's set up for Detroiters, which is good for Detroiters, but it's bad for, for example, the existing medical operators. So if you look at Illinois, for example, there was 55 medical licenses. Every one of those was able to grandfather in and get a recreational license. 
here, here in Detroit, you can't do that unless you qualify for Detroit Legacy. And so every one of these current medical operators is going to have to give up 51% of their company in order to get REC. They'll still be able to continue their medical, but the medical, in essence, almost becomes worthless once recreational comes on board. Yeah, that, that, that's, they take over our market. It's just it's unfortunate that you, the city can't protect itself against out-of-state money. I mean, it's just like if you spend a dollar locally, more of that stays local, opposed to like spending a dollar at Walmart, where 75% spends uh, national needs and 25 stays local. Uh, just seems to me shitty that you can't protect yourselves as far as the requirements go. Yeah. Well, like I said, they're able to do the law. They're going to do the law. They've done the law. Sue them mm. and win. And mm -hmm. so put the put the price up to the barriers of entry. But it, I mean, like again, if you're if you're going to talk about the type of money that they're talking about in Illinois and Detroit's going to be a lucrative market as well. People will spend that money. It's uh, it's an investment because they might be able to settle with the municipality for a license. Well, like right now with you guys in Illinois, is how everybody's suing with KPGA. That that bullshit with the point system. It's like transparency needs to be happening everywhere, you know. And if you don't get that, some the big spooky somebody wins. Who big spooky somebody's always won. Yeah, but do you know who the president is? <laughs> you think he won? No, he's still fucking president. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, did you vote? Did you both vote? Did you both already put? I, I, I vote in person, so Tuesday morning, six thirty, I'll be voting. Yeah, all right. Well, enjoy that three-hour line. Um, uh, I'm just gonna ha expect my mailed-in ballot to end up in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> but then I remind myself, this is Illinois. They'll probably count it three times. But you know, the thing is, marijuana, the conversation, the business, the industry, everything—it gets a slanted restrictive reg you know there's so many things that are against the consumer and the patient like here i, I found a couple articles before you know we, we can go today like ohio their medical program they're open for petitions like you know if, if it's a medical thing shouldn't that just be like a prescription why do i have to go and do a petition that has a deadline of december so is that like, for patients that's not for license holders yeah that's for fucking patients yeah ohio has one of the hardest criteria in order to get a medical card. So, you know, in Michigan, you can complain of back pain, call a doctor, whoever, you'll get a medical card. It's almost impossible in Ohio. Well, and, and, and you know, it's just, there's so much effed up when it comes I to- I am not America. living in Ohio. Huh? Like I, uh, one of the things is I'm like, man, it's getting cold out there in Illinois. I should fly down to Florida, work there for the winter. And then I'm like, I can't grow weed. <sighs> I'm just saying like for Ohio to- uh, I'm just there's just too many things. Whenever it comes to cannabis, it seems it's always the consumer or the industry person involved that's going to be a loser because of all the hurdles they're putting in, in place for everybody. You know that it seems extra. Now, in, in speaking of that, one of the things Detroit is trying to do to mitigate that is license fees. For example, are one percent of the normal fees. So you know, in Illinois, you had to reduce it twenty five hundred. Here, it's fifty. It's five thousand normally for an a license, they got to pay 1% or $50. So, and if they don't have to have land ahead of time. And so oh, wow. I, you don't have to have property and you're only paying $50 for your application. And how many, and so how many, that really opens it up to almost anybody within the city. True that. But then it, how are they scoring it? Is it competitive? 
I mean, I see that they have these waves. So first they're going to score all the legacies. Then they're going to look at the medicals. And then finally they'll get to the dregs and there won't be any licenses left by then. So who's doing the actual uh, scoring on it? So Detroit, for example, has always been first in, first licensed on the medical, the first 75 when they did it. Uh, they haven't said yet how, how they're going to do this for recreational. My guess is they'll probably have to do it in some type of blind lottery. Uh, say, you know, here's the first 75. If they're complete, uh, you guys get the licenses. And so really you're spending 50 bucks for a ping pong ball to get one of these potential Detroit ones. But for someone who has had no access to the industry, you know, it gives them a chance to partner with example, for, for example, cookies, you know, cookies is medical in Detroit. They don't have recreational. And so somebody who gets one of the 75 is going to be able to go to a cookies of the world and say, Hey, you want to be rec partner with me. We just had a, the first cookie store open up here in Washington and uh, Tacoma. And, 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 you know, this, this cannabis thing that when we were younger and it was always like, you get whatever you got, you know, and, and now you got brands like, you know, which is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. They had brands back then. I mean, like, well, like, the strain was the brand. So like, if you came yeah. up with Chemdog, dude, you were rich or weird things would start happening to you because everybody wanted that, you know, that, uh, that particular strain. Um, so like, I mean, like the guys who made OG Kush or headband or, or fricking, um, uh, sour diesel, those guys made a lot of money or at least saw a lot of money. I mean, like that's billions of dollars in those three strains. Well, in those days too, that market was about seeds really. Right. Cause mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you couldn't really guarantee everything's a blue dream when I, when I bought it from Joe, the, the guy behind the back alley. But, uh, if I were to get seeds, more likely it would be that strain that you're talking about. If yeah, you could, some strains are like clone only. And so, yeah. like, you know, uh, those seeds that that was just, you know, it's like it, but you know, you're going to still use that name so that people will buy your seeds. Like the, the OG Kush that I just grew, that, that, that wasn't OG Kush. It was a seed right. though. So it was like it. Yeah. So, so John, when are the lawsuits going to start coming in? What do you think? I was on a call last week with a bunch of the medical operators and their attorneys, and you know they're contemplating it right now. Obviously, Detroit City Council is proposing to pass this on the 24th before they go on their holiday break. Mm-hmm. So my guess is, you know, probably the day after, as soon as they pass this, then you'll probably see license or lawsuits start flying. But like I said, you know, for average Detroiters, you know, normal Detroiters who can't get in the industry, this is an easy way for somebody to get in. You know, there are some hoops that they have to jump through, but compared to some other states and some other cities, this opens the door for a lot of people who would never have access to this industry. So those programs are in place right now? What's that? Those programs are in place right now? Which ones? The, for the uh, the local Detroit guy to pay, you know, uh, 50 bucks instead of 5000 No, so once the ordinance takes effect, they can apply to become a Detroit legacy uh, applicant. And then there's a window on April 1st where applications are, are submitted and due. So they have the month of April to get their applications into the city. But one of the requirements to obtain a license either provisional or the actual license is you have to be pre-qualified by the state. So Michigan's a little different than Illinois 
and that you go through a two-part process, one with the state, one with the city. Pre-qualification is the state saying, I'm okay with that company and those individuals from a background perspective. That takes on average probably two to four months for them to go through. And so anybody who wants to apply for a Detroit license, you know, they should probably start that process before year end if they still want to be able to qualify for that. Do they offer any uh, uh, reduce for that initial process for applicants who are disenfranchised uh, a means to get in as well? Or does everybody have to pay the same for the background check and all that stuff? Uh, the state? No. So at the state level, there are certain law firms that will do it on reduced rates. Uh, they've simplified the process probably in June. They came out with new rules. So previously, pre-quals were probably costing somebody between ten dollars and $50,000 because they go into line by line of your bank accounts, tax records, everything. Now the average price for pre-qual in the state, regardless of which law firm you're doing, is probably three to 6000 So just by simplifying the process, they've reduced the prices You know that the consultants and professionals are charging. That's a good thing, you know, like make it up in volume, but then also, you know, have more people that have this opportunity to get into the industry. And so I do like how they created this legacy aspect of it to try to reward. And again, cannabis is local. Why aren't you going to self-deal if you're going to try to like enrich this community? Sure, you open up the, the, the gates, but then if you have these sophisticated MSOs that are already operating in other places, come in and suck up all the licenses and all that money goes to corporate, you haven't really benefited uh, the population. Yeah. So, but then of course, then it, it, is that legal? According to the holding out of Maine, it looks like, no, uh, we haven't seen how Illinois is going to rule on uh, the veteran issue. Um, similar theories. And so like, it's going to be pretty fascinating. And I'm assuming it's gonna be similar theories in this, uh, this court case that will probably be filed in the Detroit federal. Cause then they get slightly or uh, yeah. I'm assuming it's in their federal court, you know, it's, it's fascinating, but I'm glad that they have this, this process up. So you go and you pay like, you know, three to six grand to, to get pre-qualified and then you've reviewed the uh, actual uh, municipal ordinance so that you've kind of familiarized yourself with what the application it's going to be. How many hundreds of pages are we looking at there? Since it's since it's not a competitive application, the page limit's probably still the same. You're probably still talking 150 pages worth of material, but you're That's not going to pay. The, yeah, you're not going to pay the same price as you would on a competitive one. So certain communities in Michigan are competitive, similar to what we saw at the state level for Illinois for dispensaries. Others aren't. It doesn't appear at this point that Detroit is going to be a competitive one, and so. That just means that you have to turn in a business plan, a staffing plan, odor plan that meets the requirements of the statute. And if it does, and you get one of those ping pong balls, you'll end up with your license. So that should reduce some of the costs for the individuals. But the other thing, though, for Detroit is they didn't put a cap on processing and they didn't put a cap on growing. Nice. And so obviously everybody wants the retail licenses because of demand and volume and the amount of money that you can make there. But there's still a lot of money to be made growing and processing as well. Yeah. I mean, I really like the processor's license. I think that's where a lot of the action is for the industry itself. And also for the ability to be able to make a cross-border brand, because then you really have, you know, distilled it out and then you've, you know, 
a hamburger is a hamburger if you get it at McDonald's, no matter what zip code. <laughs> and it's similar to that as opposed to like, you know, when you're actually farming. And so those farming methods and the, the sun that it was grown in, the humidity, all that stuff is going to be a little bit more, you know, esoteric. Mm. Um, but that's that's really cool. So then would it just it wouldn't necessarily become a, you know, Detroit's not going to become a huge weed farm because there's an unlimited number of uh, cultivator licenses. How does the state, the city, then the municipality kind of uh, limit the number of licenses that they, they have for the cultivation if there's no set limit? So most of those limited by zoning requirements. So they'll set up certain zones within the city that you can grow. And then also certain requirements that you can't be within 1500 feet of a school or a church or certain things. Or like other, that. other uh, growers or so. So eventually there's only so many that you can have and you don't have to put a license limit in, but it's, it's still limited. Still. Yeah. At that point, it's still about space. Yeah. Like, but one of the other differences between Illinois and Michigan that, you know, makes those grow and processing a little more valuable on the, compared to retail is Michigan allows home delivery now. Ooh. And so I can have my licenses outside Detroit and still service into the city and vice versa. And so even if I don't get one of the 75 and I get one that's right in a suburb right outside the city limits, you know, I could still be doing just as much volume if my marketing, my delivery, everything else is just as competitive. Yeah. And there's still a great real estate play. I mean, you're talking about 75 retail establishments and 35 consumption lounges. So how much overlap do you think is going to be there? You know, uh, a, a multi-unit commercial building that has that that shop where you buy this product adjacent to this uh, consumption lounge. That's going to be pretty neat. That's an awesome street. My, my guess is most of those retail are also going to be applying for the consumption lounges at the same time. I bet. I bet. Or like the micro business. So for the micro business, can how much like a uh, craft brewing experience can it be? Can I have a tasting room at my micro business if I have that license? Not in. So you would have to get a consumption lounge as well. Mm. So but the other thing for micro, the micros are set up by the state really to be a license where it doesn't cost as much money to apply and to get. But if you have a grow process in your dispensary, you can't get a micro. So it's basically a separate class of licenses that the bigger players in the state aren't going to be able to use. Yeah, I like it. And I wish Illinois had a micro business license, to be honest. That would be great. Like uh, maybe not necessarily an unlimited number, but one of these unlimited limited numbers where they could use zoning at the community level to uh, set the actual number of limits. But, you know, Tom, uh, that would be Tom, cool. You bring up a great point though about the the unlimited license in in the city. Eventually, it's going to cap out because of space. But also, you know, people worry all the time about like unlimited license or too many licenses. But in the end, doesn't quality win or capitalism? Like, isn't that what this is all about, anyways? Like quality, your branding, and all that stuff. Correct. Yeah, uh, it's the same in any other industry, and every other state's gone through this as well. But you know, Michigan still has a supply issue. And until they, you know, get some equilibrium on that, I think you're going to still see a large influx of new growers, given the fact that everybody still wants to be vertical as well. And so everyone that has a dispensary, most of them are going to apply for grow licenses so they can service their own stores. You know, Michigan doesn't have the same requirements that Illinois does, for example, where I believe it's 40% is the most that you could go into one dispensary. And so, 
right now you get a lot of existing people within the state saying, Hey, I got to go vertical. But then you get also the out of state players who come into the state and say, Hey, I can grow better than these guys from Michigan, or I can grow because we've been doing it in other states. And so right now we see a lot of out of state applicants coming into Michigan because especially on the growth side, we don't have a tax on our cultivation. So we have a 10% tax on the retail side, no tax on the growth, no tax on the processing, which makes it attractive to a lot of out of state growers especially in the surrounding states. So it's, you know, it's fairly easy to come in. You know, if you're in Illinois or Ohio or Pennsylvania, you're going to spend six figures, 100, 150,000 to potentially get a license. You know, it's a competitive application to get a 5,000 square foot canopy space in Illinois. It could go up to 14,000, but first you have to get that 5,000. Yeah. Correct. And I had clients from Illinois who turned in, an Illinois application at the same time, a Michigan application at the same time, they're already licensed and growing here in Michigan. And as you know, in Illinois, it's lawsuits. So, I mean, that shows you the ease of access to the market. Obviously, I don't think it's going to oversaturate too fast just because, you know, a good grow operation is still going to cost somebody a million, $2 million. And so you still have to have capital to come into the state. Yeah. No, it's high. I mean, like the stuff still ain't free. I mean, like just because you can get and you can start growing there doesn't mean it's going to be like uh, zero cost. But then at least it's just the cost as opposed to uh, that gamesmanship where it's like, oh, you have to have the best application. No, we're going to have a 1400 page you know, application. It's going to be six figures. What we hope you win, you know. In the end, any of these recreational states and markets, uh, you got to have big money to play. The only one you don't have to be is in Oklahoma. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, like, how much is a micro business license operation going to cost? We should have uh, one of the micro business license holders on the show so that we can go over his P and Ls and his books. Well, uh, micro, I'd imagine you, you're going to start at least with a hundred thousand. I mean, even you know, because you're, you're talking the, the place, the the seeds, the the, the time the, to to pay your employees, just the, the guarding. Because, like you said earlier, Tom, about the producer processor part. You know, this is the Actually, the hardest part, because you have to be consistent, right, to create that McDonald's. You know, here in Washington, we are horizontal. There's no vertical brands. And so kind of like the stores are like, well, okay, great. I got a bunch of stores competing to be the, the best Apple store. You know, there, there's not that what it used to be where it was vertical. And like I talked to the bud tenner, yeah, man, I just got done, you know, tending to the uh, 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 trimming or whatever, you know, uh, because they were part of the process. They were part of the garden as well as being part of the store. Uh, a lot of times back in the day when it was vertical. I think we missed that. But uh, the fact that you guys, you know, and that's the other thing too about cannabis. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Missouri, but right now they're going through a bunch of lawsuits as well. Uh, this one, uh, uh, people are trying to sue. And uh, there's a, uh, the governor is saying, look, they're going to defend uh, the state side of things. Because again, it's another KPG grading issue. It's how did we get, how did you decide who gets the license? That's right. It's the state picking winners and losers. And so they just all start fighting. But then in Michigan, it's more along the lines of, well, were you there first? Okay. We were accepting applications. Your application number seven. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like that better. I think it's just more fair. Same with Oklahoma. You're able to just open and then go into business when you try to like, and I, and I realized the, the municipal 
uh, level is the right level to, to limit the licenses. And so, like, yes, I like how they do the two-step system. And they also do that in California. So it sounds like the California licensing structure is similar, more similar or more in line with the Michigan uh, licensing structure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. They're pretty comparable. But the, the one thing that most of the cities in Michigan do, especially on the dispensary side, is they try to make it centric to their city. And so they're going to say, because a lot of the dispensary ones are merit-based and the rest of them aren't, they're gonna, but they're going to say, okay, you have to renovate this building. You have to take a vacant building. You have to do something where you're not displaced in a business. You have to hire right. so many people from our community. So many business owners from our community have to be on your team. And so they're really trying to make it say, okay, we're going to allow you guys to come into our community, but you're going to do it in a way that benefits our community, creates jobs, revitalizes an area that perhaps is downtrodden as opposed to going where you want to go. You know, I had some out-of-state people from California in last month, and they were complaining that they couldn't get certain areas of certain communities. And you had to explain to them that, you know, communities here don't necessarily care about that. You know, they want to see the bad parts of their community fixed through marijuana as opposed to putting, you know, mm -hmm. a dispensary next to Starbucks. Right. And that's, that's reminds me of just reviewing the, uh, the Fresno application because Fresno has got an application window going on right now. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that was a part of the application that was stuck in the back of my head, 200 pages. So, you know, it's going to take you several hours to draft, uh, several hours, 200 pages <laughs> go. All right. I mean, like, you know, fortunately, after having uh, some applications, you, you you see what they're asking for, but then you still have to go through and make sure that it complies with the particular regulations that you're looking at. So um, Michigan and California also have the, um, the similarity. So it does become a very, very local thing. And you have to look at whatever particular municipalities regulations when you're putting in the application for that particular municipality. As opposed to like in Illinois, where they were all set from on high, the state application, and then the state picks winners and losers. We can see how that, how, same with Missouri, we can see how well those are both working or not. Well, how crazy is it that this hippie drum circle industry, uh, with the capitalists winning, uh, uh, that they're fighting, they're, they're suing to own more than 51%, it's kind of disenfranchising the local people, no matter what uh, state they're in. No matter if they're so. They have to be the dominant shareholder. It's bullshit. I think. But, yeah. Tough. Well, yeah. well, I think you got to put some protections in there because otherwise you're always going to have the out-of-state players come into town and take every single one of those licenses. You know, if you look at Detroit's social equity program that they put in place along with theirs, so if somebody gets a license in Detroit, you know, they got to hire 51% of their residents from Detroit. They got to buy 50% of their goods and services from Detroit businesses. 1% of their revenue goes back to Detroit and they got to put 750 hours to a Detroit based charity. And so you can do certain city based programs like that, but unless there's some ownership in there, you know, just because you're hiring people doesn't necessarily mean that Detroiters or people from Seattle or Chicago or wherever are benefiting because it's the owners who get generational wealth, you know, the workers never get that. And so the only way to do that is to make sure that some of the local residents can become owners. Yeah. And I think they're trying their best to do it, but then it just, you know, is that a spe special law that benefits those people at the exclusion of other people and that, you know, and violates their equal protection 
or whatever, I, I would need to read the lawsuit that came out of Maine that they uh, kind of raised this where it's talking about specific points going to the uh, uh, specific people and, and to the exclusion of others. But it, it appears that's the, the way the litigation is blowing. Uh, what else would you want to, to educate your clients on who are thinking about opening a dispensary in Detroit? I would, I would think, you know, for somebody who is not from Detroit, it, it's finding that Detroit legacy person that you can trust, that you can partner with. There's going to be a lot of people that come into this industry that I think are going to try to especially scam the Detroiters who are going to say, hey, I'm going to make you the 51% owner. But there's going to be such provisions in the document that basically negate that. And so, you know, my concern for anyone from Detroit or anyone who is a potential Detroit legacy applicant is, you know, make sure you have counsel looking that over. So that way, whoever you're trying to partner with isn't necessarily going to take advantage of you because there's so many ways that a good lawyer can draft a document. So even though you're 51% owner on paper, in reality, you're never going to see 51% of the profits. And so, you know, make sure you're protected is really you know, my advice to anyone looking to get into any one of these social equity states, whether it's Illinois, Detroit, wherever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that happened in Illinois as well. And then many people don't understand how they set up these entities, uh, especially for the cannabis touching entities and how that license might just uh, be holding that particular entity, you know, the right to, to grow or sell that cannabis. But then there's these other entities that are affiliated and related. Maybe they have the real estate or the IP or the management, and then they're just passing money all back and forth between one another. And so, sure, the uh, the license holder had to have that 51-49% ownership breakdown. But by the end of the day, that license holder owes us $2.26, by the way. It runs at a small loss. You know, um, yeah, that complexity of the industry, I think, is also something to try to, like, really you know educate people wanting to get in. Oh, yeah, the, the, okay. No, I was going to say, the other th good thing Detroit's done that Illinois didn't do, for example, is you have to maintain your Detroit legacy status in order to keep the license. You know, I know a lot of Illinois applicants, for example, who had provisions in their applications and their operating agreements to buy these social equity individuals out basically the minute they were allowed to do it. Right. Yeah. Here they're saying, no, we're not going to play that game. We're going to make sure somebody's a Detroit legacy applicant and they're going to stay that way. But I agree with Tom, you know, good lawyers can make sure that no money ever flows out of that. Totally. Yeah. Well, and not only that, that's the point. And like, you know, that's, that's why they hired me or, or, or John to do that was because we, that's how we sold value. It took us our time. It, it's quite complex, you know, uh, and then there's probably going to be an audit somewhere. Uh, your financial uh, advisor was also probably on board and involved because, you know, you're trying to get around this IRC 280E. And so like, Maggie, you were talking about like back in the day when the growers would also be trimming the products. Yeah, that's what you would do. You would have them go work on cog time so you could deduct the costs. So like, <laughs> you know, you would say, hey, quit, quit man in the shop. We can't deduct that. Go trim, you know, and so yeah. then they could deduct their time when they're trimming or pre-roll rolling, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, the manipulation of the contract, too, because, John, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Paul Stanford of Oregon. Um, he, in the early days of medical, created this uh, uh, medical where doctor, people could get scripts and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, he did a contract with a company based out of Israel, working out of Canada, and they finagled some numbers, did something, and he doesn't own the thing that he started anymore. Um, 
and matter of fact, they, they were trying to sue him to stop using his name. Uh, wow. That's how shady and good the contract was that he lost out on, you know, a million dollar company that he was running. True. No, but, you know, there's a lot of people who want to get into the industry, whether it's Chicago, Seattle, Detroit, wherever. And, you know, I always encourage people, you know, if you want to get into the industry, it may not necessarily be in your backyard just because your backyard isn't perhaps the easiest industry to get into. And so, you know, my recommendation is, you know, people watching and listening, you know, if you really want to get into the space, what if you have a relative in Detroit, for example, if you have a cousin, a coworker, somebody you went to college with, you know, see if they want to be that uh, Detroit legacy applicant, because, you know, you may not want to wait two years in Illinois, or you may not want to wait for New York to come on board next year. You get a license in Detroit, you know, you've just been able to capitalize whatever it is you want to do for your second set of grow wherever in the country. So, you know, take advantage of that because you can apply anywhere in the country. Right. And that's the other thing, like uh, Josh Kincaid and I will be talking about some like, orphan licensed in um, uh, Washington state because it's just in a rural, rural area. So it's like, you know, it might make $4.25 a week, but yeah, we have a license. We own, we operate that. And I also have family in South Dakota. So Tuesday, South Dakota, vote to legalize it. The family <laughs> needs you, man. You know, and uh, that'd be great because then what did you do? Well, I helped my uh, brother-in-law's family get a uh, cannabis license in South Dakota. That'd be cool. Yeah, but- But Tom, just to piggyback on that, you know, one of the benefits to that, even as you're applying for merit-based licenses around the country, is if you got something in Oregon or Oklahoma or Michigan or, you know, a state where it's easier to get a license, you're going into that city or that state now as a licensed operator in another state. Right. That makes your application a lot better, a lot more competitive than someone who is trying to break into the state for the first time. That's right. That's great advice about the, uh, if you have family in Detroit, I mean, Tom, we had Kush Kush on here in Washington back in the early days when it was open licensing, he bought his license for $2,000 and now he can sell it for, I think a retarded six figure figure. And, uh, you know, he's just doing the business and if people can just get their chance to get their foot in the door, that'd be great. You know, or even if they, even if they don't, they're just ambitious and they, you know, hop on a Detroit Facebook forum or wherever Michigan based one and find somebody that's a Detroit resident and say, Hey, do you want to partner up with me on this? You know, I'll pay the cost. I'll pay the fees because you can put contracts in place that'll protect you for your partner. Mm -hmm. Obviously you got to have some trust there, but you know, when everybody got their social equity applicants for Illinois, for example, I would venture a majority of them never met those individuals before they went on those applicants, you know, come, June of last year, they didn't know those social equity applicants, but they had to put them on there. So same thing for Detroit, you know, go find somebody in that city and say, you know what, let's get a business here. Yeah. Yeah. And I I hope that you guys don't have the full on litigation that we had, because like in theory, they could have filed that same lawsuit that they filed against the veteran points against the entire social equity um, uh, aspect of the license itself. Like, you know, no, this is a special law. You're you're only preferencing these people. They're going to get all the licenses. Well, that's true, but it's also the point. So I'm not sure how the Detroit litigation is going to wind up. But uh, after the show, I'll have to like hit you up for the uh, the case that came out of Maine because I haven't I haven't even read that one. Yeah, I'll send it to you. No, but Detroit's fully anticipating, uh, you know, in their press conference when they introduced the ordinance, you know, they talked about how people have already emailed and called and said they're going to sue and their attitude was basically bring it on. You know, we think this is good for Detroiters and so we're going to defend it. So, you know, as an attorney, I think that there are probably some questions with the ordinance 
as it relates to out-of-state people or compliance. But, you know, I think Detroit just wants to move forward and say, you know what, we're going to take care of the people of our city. And for those of you who don't like it, too bad. Nice. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we go to find and follow what you got going on at uh, Marshall and Melhorn? Marshall Melhorn, correct, yeah. <laughs> no, just marshallmelhorn.com? Is that what it is? Yeah, marshall-melhorn.com. Sweet. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on and thanks for tuning in. Everyone, make sure you like, subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We'll see you on Wednesday for our post-election show. Fingers crossed. Thank you, everyone. Thanks.